local area man is in fear of being terrorized by his father. Bonjour. You're listening to WBEZ Chicago's It's All True podcast, brought to you with help from our friends at thewhiskeyjournal.com. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and you just heard a fake news headline from Chicago radio icon Richard Steele. I might be crazy, but his headline sounded pretty realistic. Luckily, this is the show where I could guest reveal a headline for a funny true story. This week, I talked to Kevin Mullaney. He's an improv guru, if you will. Kevin is former artistic director and improv chief at the UCB Theater in New York. He taught, directed, and performed at the Improv Olympic in Chicago. And now he's artistic director at Chicago's Under the Gun Theater. So I'm going to level with you guys. I don't really get how improv works. I tried it when I moved to Chicago. I failed at it when I moved to Chicago. But I got over it when I moved to Chicago. If you're like me, here's a clip of Kevin Mullaney explaining it a little bit on a podcast called Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Start with what's the situation, what's the base reality of the scene, right? Then you discover what is, un, what hap, what is the thing in it that happens that's unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have to turn that unusual thing through justifying it into kind of a, a, a rule that you can play from there for, there, that point forward. Like you're always going to make choices that are in line with this, this decision you make early on in the scene. That was Kevin Mullaney explaining the UCB method of improv on the podcast Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Many comedy-minded people move to Chicago to train in the art of improv so they can do things like Saturday Night Live. I tried improv, was not good at it, but fell in love with stand-up comedy. And something that I found in Chicago is that the two worlds are very separate. It was coming off the, you know, the, the stand-up boom of the 80s, and it was just a totally separate thing. You know, I, I, I only knew of a couple of people who did both stand-up and, and improv. And usually, you know, in the improv world at the time, it was like you could really tell the stand-up because they would be... Because the, they'd be the one doing the punch. Yeah, the they'd middle. be doing <laughs> jokes the whole time. They would just like start a scene and like, here, let me tell you a joke. And it's like, no, there's a scene going on here. We got to figure out what's funny between the two of us. And when I, I lived in New York for, uh, for seven years and... The New York comedy scene was much more integrated, where people who were doing improv and stand-up and sketch mixed it a, a little bit more, knew a bit more of each other, and people were would try to go back and forth. Uh, you know, so there are people I got to know in the improv world who have gone on to be fairly successful stand-ups. People like Mike Berbiglia, I met back when he was a student at uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade. A lot of improvisers from say twenty-five years ago, when I meet them. They're not as smiley as improvisers that I meet now. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of improvisers these days are pretty smiley. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Compared to comics, they, they smile a lot. I suppose. I suppose, yeah. Maybe we, we, it was a small, very small subculture and maybe kind of a depressed, uh, <laughs> dark, heavy drinking subculture. <laughs> I think it, that drinking part has definitely changed. What do you mean? Well, you know, back in the day... Uh, when I started uh, in Chicago, it seemed like, uh, I mean, everybody drank and everybody smoked, or not everybody, but it was very, m- many more people smoked than, than they do now. And we had, you know, the, the guru, Del Close at the time, would, would say things to us like, you should always have two drinks before a show, but the problem is, who can stop at two drinks? <laughs> and openly talked about, you know, doing drugs before shows and things like that in class. So 
not that he really encouraged us to do that, but it wasn't unusual at all for people to have a couple drinks before a show. And when I moved back to Chicago in 2010, and I would literally have one beer before a show, and my partner uh, in at the time uh, looked at me like I was I was just awful. I was an awful <laughs> awful person for having a drink before a show. And it's strange because I because I thought about it later. Like as an actor, whenever I've acted, I would never have a drink before a show because I just need like this level of concentration to remember my lines and not screw up. But as an improviser, it's kind of like, eh, have a couple <laughs> drinks and not really think anything of it. For you, what was the end goal when you got into improv? Well, I was still focused on being an actor and I wanted to make movies. And, you know, uh, improv was kind of like a fun side thing. But as things go, it kind of sucks you in. You know, I got offers to, uh, a lot more offers to perform as an improviser. It, it just slowly sort of became my job as, lo- as well as my uh, my hobby, I guess. And it kind of just pushed acting to the side for the most part. So yeah. you, had, you had no goals of SNL, no goals of I want to write no. for television? None, I didn't none of even want stuff. to work for Second City. Really? I mean, this was, you know, Second City, uh, when I first came to town, I, I went to see a couple of shows and I was kind of a snotty uh, <laughs> 20-year-old, 22-year-old, whatever, and uh, had done important theater. <laughs> um, and I, was, I wasn't that impressed. Why? You know, I was like, well, some of the scenes are funny and some of the scenes aren't. And the... Um, it wasn't inter- interconnected in any way. It didn't seem like a show. It seemed like just a series of comedy sketches, some of which were good and some weren't. Um, and uh, so I didn't. I just decided that wasn't my goal, and I wanted to do straight theater, and I wanted to do just straight up improv, like they did at uh, Improv Olympic. And I realized later that that was probably a huge mistake because by the time I was getting to the point where I would have been thought of as someone who could be hired by Second City, they started doing really interesting things. They had these shows. Pinata Full of Bees was the first one. What was that? Pinata Full of Bees is like this legendary Second City um, show. I can't remember the name of the director, but some of the people involved were like Adam McKay, John Glazier. uh, Gosh, I can't remember the cast. But what they did was they kind of, they, they came in and they kind of overturned the apple cart in every way they could think of. Yes, come in. Hello. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Grissom, how are you? Jerry, have a seat. Come on in. What can I do you for? Well, I, uh, I called you into my office, actually. Uh, okay. Uh, well, it's not often we get the higher-ups coming over to the third floor now, is well, it? Well, I like to come down and see what the lowers are doing. Yeah. Um, Mr. Grissom, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago we had had you take a uh, standard psych test for the insurance companies. Mm-hmm, I remember. This had an IQ portion to it, some judgment questions. I'm tracking with you. Well, uh, some of the results we got back were a little surprising. Great. So I'd like to run them by and get some feedback. Good, Jerry. Super duper. (laughs) Mr. Grissom, according to these test results... um, You're, uh... You're legally retarded. Hard to say that in a polite way. They didn't start the show with a big musical number. The title wasn't a pun. The title was actually based on something that. <laughs> are you, are you in the annoyed shows. by that as well? That really bothers me when I see that. Uh, Every uh, like... it bothers me less over the years. It bothered me <laughs> more back then when I didn't think the shows were 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 that great. 
We'll be right back with more It's All True after the break. And when we return, you'll hear Kevin Mullaney's headline for a funny true story. I didn't know nothing about this hedonism stuff at the time. Too intellectual for my taste. I just felt it. The insatiable hunger for pleasure. Cornucopia of good feelings to chase away the bad. Life gives you lemons. Stick those sons of bitches in a vat of whiskey and have yourself a cocktail. Pleasure Town premieres July 9th, but the legend has already begun online. Join the story now at wbez.org slash pleasure town. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and each week I ask a guest to reveal a headline for a funny true story. This week's guest is Kevin Mullaney. He's an improviser and artistic director at Chicago's Under the Gun Theater. Here's his headline. Oh, what, what should my headline be? I know the story, so I'm trying to formulate the headline here. Um, young actor exposes himself to hundreds of, of school-aged children in the name of art. <laughs> what, what year are we in? That was 1990. I had studied abroad uh, my junior year of college. So after college, I returned to London to sort of hang out with the friends I had met there and hopefully do some more theater because that's where I started doing theater was while I was studying abroad. My friend was working on a production of Macbeth and he uh, cast me as Banquo. Banquo is, uh, I, I suppose he's, you'd say he's one of uh, Macbeth's friends at the beginning or, or colleagues at the beginning of the show and Macbeth kills him and then he returns as a ghost. So we had a lot of discussions about what would I wear as a ghost? <laughs> you know, in most you know movies or plays, you know, ghosts wear clothes, right? Yeah. Um, but for some reason, we just thought that just sounds stupid. Why would a ghost <laughs> wear clothes? So what were the top five choices of ghost wear? The, the idea was to sort of give the show a kind of a paramilitary okay. uh, feeling to it, I guess. <laughs> Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand. So the first idea was, well, what if I wore the same outfit, but it was just like bleached white, you know? Uh, and and we thought, well, that's kind of obvious and uh, kind of <laughs> dumb. And so he's like, oh, well, the answer, of course, is obvious. We'll get naked and cover you in blood. So we went forward with this idea. We, we, we didn't bother to tell anybody in the cast. And I thought it would be a good idea to be naked once in rehearsal just to get used to the idea. So um, we have this uh, rehearsal with a full cast. There's like 20 people, and they're, and they're all set up on, on chairs sitting in this banquet formation behind us. And, uh, you know, uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are doing their, their, their thing. And I go to stand in position where I'm going to make my entrance, and I'm wearing uh, a raincoat. And I drop the raincoat, and I am buck naked. And there's we're doing it in a dance studio, so there's a huge mirror in front of me. So everybody is facing the mirror, and people can see you naked at all angles. Yes, very, <laughs> yes, from behind, from the front. Did that cross I'm your mind? Very <laughs> flaccid and tiny. Uh, it was only like five shows over one week, and one of those shows was a matinee that we did 
mainly for school kids of about the age of 13 or 14. And and I knew we were in trouble because, you know, it was a bigger theater and we were down in the dressing room. It was kind of a place that has intercom so you can hear what's going on on stage from the dressing room. Instead of the normal sort of polite chatter and quiet before a, sh- a theater uh, performance, it was just, you know, 13-year-old kids yelling yeah. and screaming at each other and yelling at each other. Just a huge amount of... of uh, noise the lights go down the the audience hushes for a sec and then uh they start cheering like it's a rock concert (laughs) and i start to think oh this this could not go well lady Macbeth, the the woman playing lady Macbeth, you know she has these these speeches that have sexual innuendo and uh you know um uh, is nobody can take her her monologue seriously, and I felt so bad for her. Like I have I have I have given suck from my breast or something like that, and the whole audience laughs. laughs. It's making me laugh right now. Yeah, well, put yourself in your thirteen year old self. You would enjoy this. So finally, we get to the scene where I come out naked. Just a hush comes over them, and you get an audible like, <gasps> and then there's a silence. <laughs> And then they start laughing. <laughs> now, and I am full frontal. And you have blood on you this time. And I'm drenched in blood, and full I, frontal. I also understand that, maybe I'm wrong, but the British have different standards of ma- maintenance for their, uh, their junk, if you will. Well, nobody maintained their junk back in <laughs> 1990. But in terms of... Uh, I mean, not even women at that of, point, of, really. Of, or maybe I'm wrong, of, of circumcision... Oh, 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 you're right, you're right, yes, yes. At the time, uh, men of my age in the United States, probably like 90% of them were circumcised, but <laughs> in England, uh, that was not as common of practice. Uh, so this might might have been the first time they've ever seen, you know. Well, they're 13-year-old boys. Uh, they weren't that close to me, that could be okay. inspecting my, my junk <laughs> in that kind of detail. Um, but they, uh, it, it, it just got worse from there. Thy very stones prate of my whereabouts, and take the present whore from the time which now suits with it. Eventually, after like 20 seconds or so, that starts to die down, gets quiet again, and they're actually paying attention to the scene. And somebody whistles. I smile. Because that's the most brilliant thing you could do at that moment. (laughs) It really is. They have some good improv chops. It didn't feel liberating at that point. It didn't feel liberating <laughs> and free like it did in the other uh, performances. Well, what did that smile mean when you did it? That I'm embarrassed and, <laughs> and I think it's funny too and I really want to laugh but I can't laugh. Because I've got a monologue to get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I think that was a performance that my dad saw as well. Like my dad was visiting, had no idea what was going to happen and he saw the performance with 13-year-old filled with 13-year-old boys. He was very concerned afterwards, wanting to know, like, I just want to know, uh, was would, was this something you were forced to do? Or was this your idea? And I assured him, no, Dad, it was it was my idea. <laughs> and that's the show. Big thanks to Kevin Mullaney for stopping by to talk to me. Also, I owe him an apology. I was booked on a wonderful show he produces called Hump Night, And I forgot that I had to be there, and I didn't show up, and I feel very guilty about it. So, Kevin, I hope you accept this apology. I owe you something. Pizza on me. 
For more information about him, look up Under the Gun Theater. It's a wonderful place. They do great training, and, uh, you know, I believe in it, so you should too. It's All True is a production of WBEZ Chicago and The Whiskey Journal. This show is produced by me, myself, I, and Joe Dassault. You can subscribe to this and all of our podcasts in iTunes. And you can also find It's All True on Facebook at facebook.com slash alltruepodcast. And if you have time after that, favorite one of my tweets. My Twitter handle is timbarnes451, and follow the show at alltruepodcast. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you. Words to the heat of deeds, too cold breath gives... I go, and it is done. The bell invites me.